Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here is an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, Matt LaMeo. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs. When we kiss, it thrills me so. But if Sentimental you Is the love that you've given Without consequence Shared with a fool Unsentimental you Now should I go on giving Or go along without you Sentimental you Is the love that you've given Without consequence Shared with a fool Unsentimental you Now should I go on giving Or go along without you
Lameo from his brand new release, and we got Matt on the line. Hey, Matt, how you doing today? I am doing well, Richard. Glad to be speaking with you. I'm glad to have you on the line. Now, this is the first time you've been on our show, and we always like to give our fans this opportunity to get to know who you are as an artist, as a person, and the best way to do that is through your journey, how you got to where you are today. So, give us the story of Matt LaMeo. Well, the story of Matt LaMeo, uh, the musical artist, it really starts when my brother was a guitarist. 
at a young age, and he wanted to play the harmonica. And he ended up getting two harmonicas as a Christmas present. So I took the harmonica that was extra, and that became my instrument, and I figured out that I could sing pretty well along with that at that time, and that was when I was about nine years old. And uh, by that summer, we were gigging in a band together, my brother on guitar, myself on harmonica and vocals. And playing live is something that's been very important throughout my life and I have followed that muse uh, across a few states I went to Memphis and played on Beale Street for a couple of years I went back home my home is upstate New York uh, originally and then I moved to Los Angeles uh, after a spell of that I've been here in Los Angeles for about four and a half years now okay well, let's talk about this new release. When you were putting this together, what was your goal for this? My goal was to create a full length with an emphasis on the song craft and bringing roots-oriented music styles, uh, especially the blues, uh, to more of a basis in popular music and uh, well-recorded vocal and interesting but concise solo sections. Um, I've been in a time uh, in which blues is it's very guitar-driven, it's very chops-driven. Of course, everyone on my record is uh, excellent players, not that they don't have the chops, but for me, this project was more about uh, a song well-delivered than proving that I can play the best, longest harmonica solo of all time. That makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. It's got to be about the song. I mean, I I think the song... Uh, and I think that has been uh, an issue with the blues for many years, where it became the song became an excuse for a solo, um, and we need to get back to good songs, good crafted songs. You know what I mean? I would agree with that. And if I can be a part of that, then I would be uh, meeting what my goal was with this release. Okay. Well, let's talk yeah. about that process. Um, Writing songs, every songwriter has their uh, mechanism that they use to kind of get themselves uh, tapped into their muse. When you sit down to begin that process, what is your mechanism that allows you to kind of get the gears rolling? I usually start with a phrase or a lyric that really grabs me And quite often it is uh, because of an experience in my life that is very prevalent in my mind, Uh, maybe something that's emotional at the time, maybe it's a a love affair gone wrong, Um, but if I come up with a lyric that I find to be somewhat witty or some kind of melody or motif 
I will usually begin to draw that out and try to make that into a song. And it's funny you say sit down because as I look back on this release, there are a couple songs uh, and even some new ones I haven't recorded yet that I've made while in motion, while going for a walk, uh, while driving. Um, when I moved to L.A., I was doing all kind of different jobs, and I was a substitute teacher. And one of my favorite songs from the record, Unsentimental You, I wrote that uh, in between class periods as a substitute teacher. Um, so I would like to observe more of the, the song craft of you sit down and you write because that's what you are, right? sit down you say i need to write a song uh but that isn't to be honest the, the way that it's come to me uh so far in my songwriting life more more uh spontaneous and and almost complete as they come uh songs in my experience okay now um mm. every songwriter has their way of finding Melody and lyric. Lyric is kind of a craft. You, the more you do it, the, get a, the better you get at it. And it has a certain structure to it. I mean, you have to have a story, continuity, rhyme, meter. Yeah. But melody is a little different. Some songwriters like to work off a groove. Others like to work off of a chord structure or even allow the lyric to kind of dictate through its cadence where the melody should go. Uh, what is kind of your go-to when you start looking for your melodies? When I start looking for a melody, uh, like I would say, like I uh, was saying previously, sometimes that will come with a lyric. There'll be something in my head and I say, oh, wouldn't this be something to say in a song? And that melody will kind of wean its way out. And one, one interesting thing that occurs with me is I'm not a chord player by trade, so there might be an extra bar in there, or the, there are these funny quirks that then I have to teach to the guys playing with me. Um, and yeah, I would just say it's kind of like, uh, like you talk about an earworm. This uh, hook from a song that gets in your head because you heard it and uh, you just can't get it out. For me, uh, that's a lot like the ways that a song originates for myself. So I'll just kind of find this phrase and think, okay, what, what setting can I provide for this? Uh, what kind of narrative can I use to flesh this out? And that was something... My producer, Terry Wilson, helped with a lot on the songs that we wrote together on this project. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit about your toolkit. You know, every, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of songwriters have embraced technology today, whether it's their cell phone to capture ideas or they have a home mm -hmm. recording studio or even, you know, using software like Master Writer or Songwriter's Pad. What are some of the tools that you have found that you find indispensable when you sit down to write? Hmm. Well, Richard, I would consider myself a bit of a primitive because uh, I've, I've had quite a few that have originated on pen and paper 
I've picked up the guitar a little bit um, to where I've written a couple three or four chord songs with a guitar. Uh, I would say that being able to employ a notepad on my phone or a Word document on the computer, of course that's useful for communicating with my fellow musicians, uh, but I'm pretty old school when it comes to most of that. Uh, once again, my producer, Terry, he uses some of that software where we'll talk about a song and he'll give me some kind of mock-up and and I've noticed that helps a lot with getting the composition to go forward. Um, but I am uh, I'm pretty old school with my process, at least so far, keeping in mind that uh, this is a lifetime and uh, I'm sure I'll continue to add to that. Okay. In terms of the process. Now, um, yeah. A lot of songwriters uh, get to that moment where they have to put the, the pen down, and that's always a tough time. Because um, songs are never really written. They're always rewritten. You work them, you massage them, but you got to get to the point yeah. where you move it on into production. You give it to the band, you give it to the producer, and allow them to kind of get their fingerprints on it. What do you do mm -hmm. to determine that moment? I would say that I have to feel that I have it written in terms of two or three verses, there's a chorus, is there a bridge? Um, I ha And I do have to emphasize again, uh, Terry Wilson helped some of these songs become more than what they were. One of them uh, was the title cut. That was actually a track he had going, and he had the two main parts of it. And then I wrote the words, and we tinkered some more, and then he said, well, we really need a bridge. And then we wrote that bridge, and it really assisted in the dynamics of the song. So I guess I would put it in two categories. Uh, there are your songs like um, Unsentimental You, which I referred to earlier, that I just sort of wrote all at once. I had three verses, I had a chorus, I knew that would make about the length of a pop song that I was looking for, and that's just done. And if I could find a way to communicate it to my bandmates, then there we go, we could go record it. And that was about how it went for that song. But I find there's a collaborative aspect to some of the other tunes uh, that... Yeah, it's taken some trial and error, some mock-ups, some application of more of the technology that you refer to uh, to get that going. And it, it sure is hard, Richard, to say, yes, the song's done. Because um, like you say, we uh, a good friend of mine who's a producer is fond of saying, uh, we don't finish albums, we just give up. Yeah, and I think that's true uh, on the song level as well. I've heard that from other songwriters that we don't finish songs; we just abandon them. Um, mm -hmm. Now, let's talk about that process of going into the studio. Um, 
every artist has their way of working in that environment to capture their sound and and having a good song that really just gives you something to say but going in the studio is that art form of creating its identity creating its its vibe not only for the song but you as an artist when you get into that environment and you begin working in the studio what is your process that allows you to capture your sound the process for this record which i would expect to follow up in general was to do basic tracking with the main band all together so at least bass drums guitar myself i have been playing live now for let's see 24 years and I'm 33 so playing live music is so much a part of my identity and my comfort place uh, and I'm not that there's tremendous nerves here on the phone with you, but I've, I'm even more comfortable being on stage singing. I'm just not anywhere else more at home. So in this recording, and I would expect in future recordings, the idea has been to approximate a live setting in terms of that reactivity between the core band members, core members of the rhythm section, and there are some special moments, in my opinion, on this record where, for example, uh, my drummer James Cruz and I just locking up. Uh, you know, whether we were looking at each other or not, almost being uh, perfectly syncopated with a vocal line and a drum part. Uh, so I find doing as much of the tracking at once as possible to get it closer to a live experience has been a good route for me uh, with my background in performing. And we were fortunate because several of my vocals and harp solos were kept from those scratch recordings. I, I couldn't have done much better uh, and we felt that they placed the songs in an authentic light with a worthy performance. Okay. Now, uh, let's talk about getting it out there. Um, you're working with Frank Rozak from Frank Rozak Promotions. Tell me a little yeah. bit about that relationship. Working with Frank has been great because... I used to be a DJ myself, uh, so I can relate to you a little bit uh, on that end. I was with WAER Syracuse, uh, which has had a four-hour blues program on Sunday nights for some 30-odd years, and I was uh, the steward of that program for a while, so I would get mailers from Frank. I would, I would see the CDs, and I always knew that it would be something pretty good. I've been really glad to see in these first weeks that the expectation of quality is obviously present with a lot of DJs because they're 
giving my record a spin and uh, picking their favorite tracks. They're not picking the same tracks, which I really love. Um, so working with Frank has been great. He's a real go-getter, and I've been seeing reviews and plays all over the world, and that's something I'm very excited about. And uh, Frank's, as you uh, mentioned to me before in our prior conversation, he is a New Yorker living in California, so we can certainly relate. <laughs> there you go. Now, um, tell me a little bit about the lineup. Who's playing on this? On this record, uh, well, first I would have to mention my producer, Terry Wilson, and his name is probably recognizable from his longtime collaboration with his wife, Teresa James, and the Rhythm Tramps, who've made several records over the years. And the genesis of this record was a gig I did with Terry and guitarist Billy Watts and drummer James Cruz. And I'll, I can give you more details on those guys. But we basically did a gig at my home musical base here in L.A., Ireland's 32 Pub. And Terry said to me, gee, we had a pretty good sound with uh, this group. We should get something like that down. And uh, considering Terry and Teresa's work as a blues-based singer who's capable in a variety of genres, I thought it would be a great start for taking that big step as an artist performing my own original music. Um, Terry has been in this game a long time. He played with Paul Kosoff from the band Free uh, in his early days. Uh, he even backed Jimmy Reed at one point, uh, as well as being a veteran of Eric Burden's band. So all of that adds up to a history of someone I would certainly want to work with. Um, some of those years with Eric Burden, uh, Billy Watts was the guitarist. Billy is the most wonderful guitarist I could play with. Uh, I just think he's such an underrated treasure. He plays everything right. His knowledge of uh, rhythm guitar styles is unparalleled and just full of taste. And then James Cruz uh, was the drummer on this record, and uh, James is at least partially retired from drumming, but he, he came out to do my work, and I've, I'm so appreciative of that because James played with J.J. Kale for many, many years. So he is a groove-based drummer uh, who's very imaginative, and what he brought to some of these feels, no one else would have. And that that's the core band. Uh, Teresa James contributed a great deal of overdubs, whether it be vocals, keyboard parts. Uh, I had some horn parts from Daryl Leonard, which are very wonderful. Uh, Polly Sarah, who is a Syracuse, New York native, so not too far from my native Utica, uh, contributed a sax solo. And uh, last but not least, Kevin McKendry's organ parts were a huge part of this record. And I, in my opinion, some of the best cuts uh, were really 
what's the can't think of the right verb but set off uh you know in the perfect way by kevin's organ playing okay now um Let's talk a little bit about the industry. Over the last 20 years, um, the digital revolution has really redefined the music industry several times. And we're now in this world where the consumer has embraced streaming as a way to consume music. And let's face it, that's not going to change anytime soon. Uh, vinyl is you know, not going to resurge and come back to the point to where it was, or even where CDs were at one point. Um, and the problem is, is that now the consumer does not look at recorded music anymore as a product. Um, how has that shift in perception affected you as an artist well i think as a millennial person this has been my entire experience uh i've come into this craft uh that i love and that i know i can excel at but due to some of these massive factors in our society it's not as easy to be an earner as it may have been in the 1960s if the right executive heard me and said oh this is the guy all right let's put him in the studio and we'll put out a record and people will buy the record uh that's kind of never been the world that i've been a part of so I would say in the first place, I try very hard to keep positive because it doesn't matter what music town you're in. If you're in L.A., if you're in Memphis, uh, maybe Nashville is the exception. I'm not sure. But you're always going to hear, well, it's not what it used to be. And, and it certainly isn't. Uh, but that's not a reason to stop creating because I would also add that there is a need for music and for new music and what it means to people, you know, we see all the time, whether it's someone streaming my album from afar and letting me know that they're playing it or enjoying it, or if it's someone hearing us uh, at a live show. So I am just far from ready to give up that battle, although the, the path is indeed much more nebulous uh, than it may have been 30, 40 years ago. Okay. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about um, the future of streaming. Um, there is technology coming out which um, is based on the blockchain, and the blockchain is that uh, software technology that allows cryptocurrency to exist. And they've created this uh, streaming platform that um, that works off that that software technologies uh, platforms like Audius, uh, Emanate, and they're claiming that they're going to pay artists up to ninety percent of the incoming revenue back to the artists themselves, with the other ten percent going to run the network, run the nodes that are on the network. Um, mm -hmm. What do you see as that? Do you think that that could possibly um, right the ship a little bit or, or give the artists more revenue from streaming? I'm highly interested in that. 
you know, I have a Spotify subscription um, just because it's, it's kind of just an essential part of the toolkit, even down to sharing playlists with colleagues, you know, when we're doing different gigs. Um, but we all know what the payouts are. Uh, we know what it is on a percent basis, and that needs to change. So I, I am all for uh, the blockchain format uh, and, and the type of splits that you're referring to. I think we should get back to that. I don't think even in the big record company days, artists were getting 90%. Uh, so that would be a vast improvement to me because we need to uh, be making music. People need music. And, you know, this is something I don't think a lot of people understand. You know, if, whether you're trying to book a gig and it's a very low budget or anything related to that, well, we need the income to be able to make music. Uh, the time that this takes, uh, the time to work on the press, to promote your gigs through social media, to communicate with band members, uh, that takes a great deal of effort. And we certainly need a model that can help musicians sustain their craft through their craft. So I, I would be very interested in that. Okay. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, what happened when the pandemic hit. Um, touring, of course, shut down and a lot of artists started going on the Internet. They started to create content. They started with live streaming and then they created some music videos. Then they started to kind of, you know, put up snippets of, of their life, you know, uh, puppies, kittens, and babies, and, you know, hiking in the mountains, or cooking dinner, or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. and it, this whole world of, you know, uh, fans getting to see the behind the scenes became uh, a, a way of branding. Um, because let's face it, over the last 30 years, we've been inundated with this whole reality show kind of mentality. So the, the fans really were acclimated to accept this kind of content. Um, how are you utilizing this world of content and social media marketing to help with this new project that you're putting out? Well... I try to be rounded and be a person on social media because everyone advises you, you know, to do that. It can't just all be come to my show, come to my show, come to my show. People kind of turn off from that. I try to emphasize the local, and that's something I really live. Uh, I'm very happy to be here in Van Nuys, in the San Fernando Valley, Los Angeles, California, and there are lyrical references in my songs or you know I will share uh, just a good meal I've had at a restaurant around here I try to really ground who I am as an artist in the local uh, you might notice on my album there's a lot of place names that opens up a lot of tie-ins 
in your social media branding, uh, whether it's the bar I play at every week or other places that I play at or uh, touting uh, the talents of some of my colleagues that I'm so lucky to uh, maybe maybe sit in with or just take in a part of their show. And they just live a couple miles, they're playing a couple miles away from me. Um, so I try to integrate all of that into my branding as an artist on the social media. Um, I also think having that Spotify tool on Instagram where I can put a lyric of my song up with something in my story, that's very useful. That, that makes it real. It makes it connected to the recorded work, whatever it is I'm uh, doing in real time. Um, I was played in Maine this morning, so I, I put something up today and I included a part of my song 27 where I name drop uh, the state of Maine because why not? So that, that all kind of makes it more connected in my opinion and uh, it's, a, it's a way I like to look at things Okay, with the social media branding. Now, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with us. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there an Indie Blues double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. Uh, turn it up loud. Screw the neighbors. We're going to have some fun. <laughs> All right. I don't go for the club. I don't go for champagne. I like a dim lit bar room where they know my name. drinks on a Friday night. I said, baby, I think you like this place all right. And I sure wasn't wrong, cause I think she likes it too. Because she's hitting her vape every 15 minutes. Talking to the bouncer, giving out her digits. Leaving me with a tab and a bad case of the
artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Gonna scream my name Make you shout now, honey 